This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. This is the One Thing Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Woods. We are all about the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. And when you're looking to achieve something extraordinary, you have to unlock the potential that is within you. Yet so many of us struggle. We think that we are doing the best that we can do when we fail to actually seek what's the best that can be done and how do we find models and systems that allow us to shatter our ceiling of achievement. Today, you are going to get the pleasure of having a conversation with somebody who is a very impressive individual. He is a former Navy SEAL commander. He is a New York Times bestselling author of The Way of the Seal, Staring Down the Wolf, and the founder of Unbeatable Mind and Seal Fit, Commander Mark Devine. Jeff, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So first and foremost, I was, I was chatting with my team before and uh, Kaylin asked, why in the world would somebody make the decision to become a Navy SEAL? Because that does not happen by accident. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I made a decision to become a certified public accountant before I was a SEAL. <laughs> and, and that did happen by accident. <laughs> and it was a horrible choice for me. So... <laughs> So, give us a background on you. So I uh, was born at a very young age in a very small town in upstate New York, which made me pretty average. And um, I went to Colgate University, small liberal arts school in upstate New York, and then followed the herd down to Manhattan you know, to get into the business world. The, the basic plan was that I was going to become a certified public accountant, as I mentioned. I got my MBA at Stern School of Business and Finance. And all that great foundational um, work in that first budding career of mine would set me up to go back and run the family business. Divine Brothers, over 100 years old, manufacturing business. We make equipment for industry. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen, they're chef-created, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. So that was the plan. That was the story. And I bought into it lock, stock, and barrel. Well, on 23rd Street in Manhattan, a block away from where I lived, was a Zen master just waiting to meet his next student. <laughs> that was me. And one day I was walking home from work and I heard all these crazy sounds coming from the second floor dojo or you know place of training. And I was like, holy cow, what is that? And so for the first time in my life, I was exposed to an Eastern developmental system called the martial arts and with a very, very profoundly competent teacher named Tadashi Nakamura. He was a Zen master masquerading as a karate instructor. 
So that began my journey into meditation at 20 years old, mm. Zen meditation to be precise. And I took to it like it was the best thing since sliced bread. For some reason, he was so inspiring. And I found you know, some immediate results from the meditation that I thought, well, this is really interesting. There's something going on here. And so I uh, began a daily practice, 20 minutes every single morning. And then every Thursday evening after our, our six o'clock class, we would have an uh, hour-long meditation sit. Hmm. It was interesting. Like he had, Jeff, he had hundreds of students in this one school and he had 100,000 over, you know, worldwide. And very few of us were actually did the meditation part, the Zen. Now he was dedicated to it. I think we would show up every Thursday with about 10 or 15 students out of the hundreds in this school in New York City. And we would sit and meditate for an hour and he would lead us. And then at the end of it, he would give a little talk, you know, with his little squeaky chalkboard. And um, so I did that religiously for four years. And we'd also go to Zen Mountain Monastery in upstate New York for uh, these long four-day sessions, they're called, where we'd sit and, and meditate with the Zen monks. At any rate, long story short, my brain, my mind, uh, my whole being was transformed to that process. And I, I talk about that process uh, in my book, The Way of the Seal, how you know, I opened up and began to access new areas of my brain. I began to think differently. I began to get you know, intuitive hits about what I was meant to do. And, and also that was contrasted with how far off I was. You know, mm-hmm. Here I am cranking away, you know, getting my MBA at night, working toward my CPA, working full-time in a suit and tie. And pretending that all that was just fine. But then I would sit on the bench and um, I would get all, this, all these messages that that was the wrong thing for me. I was you know, going down the wrong path fast. And that if I didn't align with my calling or you know, what the Buddhists would call my dharma, then I was going to be screwed and end up you know, basically unhappy or unfulfilled in life. So I started to ask better questions. I started to examine the underlying story that had gotten me there, right? And um, it, was a, it was kind of a gnarly process for me because I didn't have the tools that, you know, like we have today. We didn't have podcasts. We didn't have, you know, as many books uh, on, written on this type of stuff. I had to figure it out on my own. But I trusted the process. I trusted meditation. I trusted Nakamura. I started asking these different questions like, if not that, then what? What am I supposed to be doing? And I kept coming back to the notion of warrior. The word warrior kept popping in my head and... I kept getting the sense that I was meant to be a warrior and not a corporate warrior, at least not in that point in my life. So when I started to really feel into that, that's when I stumbled upon the SEALs. I, I wasn't like today. We didn't have the internet and movies about SEALs back then. They truly were a pretty secret organization. And one night I was, this is about th- two, and, two years into my Zen training. I was walking back from work again. It's interesting how great things happen when you walk back from work. <laughs> and I passed, <laughs> I passed the Navy recruiting office and on the uh, wall or facing outward from the window inside was a poster. And the poster had a title that said, be someone special. And I stopped and just stared at that for a while. And the imagery on that was SEALs doing SEAL stuff. It didn't say anything about the Navy SEALs. It just said, be someone special, US Navy. And right there, I was captivated. I said, that's it. That's it. That's what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to be a warrior doing that, whatever that is. So I went to the recruiter's office the next day and I said, hey, whatever's on that poster, that's what I want to do. And they're like, no, you don't. And I said, yes, I do. They said, those are the SEALs. Those guys are 
crazy. <laughs> you don't want to do that. I said, that's what I'm doing. Tell me how to do that. And uh, you know, the rest is history, as they say. I could tell you that story, but you know, we've got to save some good stuff for more for later. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd love, I'd love to dive deeper into meditation because um, there's, there's a quote in the one thing that I'm sure you're familiar with from FM Alexander that people do not decide their futures. They decide their habits and their habits decide their futures. We have had tens of thousands of people go on 66-day challenges and many focus on meditation. And one of the first things they realize is when they close their eyes and they take that first breath, their mind goes nuts. So when you say sitting down for 20 minutes, sitting down for an hour, that is profoundly challenging. What did that journey look like for you? Well, I, of course, experienced that initially. And because I had a, a competent teacher in, a, in an actual process that he was teaching me, then um, I was able to kind of push through the early stages where most people quit or, mm. or you know, fail because of that monkey mind. So the Zen process, and, and what I've since learned and now teach, Jeff, is that meditation really is a step one, step two, step three type of process. And it's a little bit different for everybody. That's why it used to be taught in a very personalized nature. In modern uh, times, you know, where one size fits all and you just download the latest meditation app and everyone's doing the same thing, it's not very effective. I'm not saying there aren't good benefits, health benefits, and you know, maybe a little bit more centered and peace of mind. That's all great stuff. But the true value of meditation, which is to unlock your absolute fullest potential as a human being, eradicate all the negative conditioning and allow your uh, positive your positive qualities to flourish, to access your heart and to become a more compassionate human being and to essentially awaken, stabilize it, awaken and become an enlightened human being. It's all available to every one of us, but we just have to follow a path that is proven. And we have to have a teacher who knows how to essentially um, steer us back on course when we go awry or astray. So I was fortunate enough to have that teacher for four years before I joined the SEALs. And then I've found competent teachers since then to keep me on the path. Mm. Anyways, back to your specific question. What I found is that we, we can meditate best when our body-mind systems are in balance. And this is why uh, when, I, when I learned practices of breath control and um, you know, I was already fit, but so the fitness part wasn't hard for me, but how that, you know, getting, getting fit or being able to move your body to release agitation and then using a breath control practice to balance your brain and to get your brain into the right you know, frequency essentially to meditate is very, very important. So we can use a breathing practice to just start the process to get us into a meditative state. And that might be all you do for a year. And that bleeds off stress. It gets your brain to be able to tune in at that high alpha, low beta state, which is going to be optimal for meditative practices. And it starts to reduce the content or the choppiness of your mind, that the, the, the mind's natural tendency in its default mode to bounce around and to chase after whatever um, thing pops in your head and to elaborate into a dr dramatic story. So starting there was how I really got into it. And then from there, you, you switch on essentially the concentration part of the practice where you begin to narrow your focus to just one object of concentration essentially tuning out or tamping down or taming your mind so that it doesn't need to focus on 100 things at once, 
or shift focus between those hundreds of things bouncing around. It can literally narrow its focus to one thing and then hold that in a sustained concentration. And that right there, you know, could be another several years of practice, right? And there's more to it after that, but I think we'll stop there. So those two, yeah. this is kind of a practice that I teach. So Nakamura got us to get to a place, like we didn't meditate before our training, we meditated after. There was a reason for that. You first move your body to bleed off the stress and the agitation of the day, and then you sit and meditate. And then when we started meditating, we started by focusing on slow, controlled breathing through our nostrils. And that was to get our brain de, um, de-stressed and into that um, prime kind of meditative alpha, alpha beta state. And then yeah. we began our concentration practice. If somebody wanted to begin a journey of exploring meditation, where would you suggest they begin? Right where they're at. <laughs> <laughs> walk, us, walk us through box breathing. Okay, that's an excellent place to start. So my version of what I just talked through is called box breathing. This is a secret weapon for our unbeatable mind uh, students. So you just want to get into a position that's going to be comfortable. Box breathing can be done anywhere, but it's best done as a practice where you're looking like a like a meditator, right? So you want to sit on your bench or cushion or on the edge of a chair. You got to set up your posture prop appropriately. So the best way to do this is before you sit down to make sure that your body doesn't have any kinks and you've worked off some stress. That's why I mentioned, you know, it's good to do, you know, meditation after yoga, after a little workout, or if it's in the morning, do some sun salutations or something to kind of like work the kinks out. So you, when you sit, your body's not all agitated and bouncing around or wanting to move. And then sit with your spine straight and your feet on the floor, your knees should be below your hips and your face relaxed. And that's very simple, right? There's a few more pointing out instructions for that, but that's enough for that. And then just softly close your eyes or you can keep them open with a maybe just a 20 or 30% opening to your eyelids with a downward gaze. And both are appropriate. There's pros and cons, but it really is more of a personal choice. And then you're going to close your mouth gently and you're going to begin to inhale through your nostrils and you'll do it um, for beginners to a count of four. So like inhale, one, two, three, four. And then you'll hold your breath at the top of, or at the four. So you'll hold your breath to a count of four. And then you'll exhale to a count of four. And then in the exhale hold, you'll count to four. So it, you know the breathing is in a box pattern. This is a profoundly simple but effective practice. The pattern itself is important because we're breathing equal, equal parts inhale, exhale, and equal parts hold. This pattern has the effect of um, calming, balancing, and, and kind of sharpening your mind, like sharpening a saw or a, a knife. It's completely safe as well, right? There's nothing that's going to, in this breath pattern, that's going to do anything to disturb your mental or emotional state. And I can't say that about all breath practices. Some breath practices that are being taught these days are actually somewhat dangerous, especially if someone has some mental imbalances, which a lot of people do, frankly, in our society. But this one is, is completely safe. So that's all you do. You, in the SEALs, we would call doing a practice like this arousal control. The first uh, phase of this is really just about controlling your arousal response, de-stressing, bleeding off any excess agitation, and getting that brain of yours ready to ready for you to uh, work on the content uh, side of things. 
Now, you can do this alone for, let's say, five to six minutes a day for like 30 days and just observe the results. They should be profound. And all of our students say it's just profound. I recommend longer. Like I, I have trouble thinking, maybe it's because I'm a Navy SEAL and I'm like a just do it kind of guy, but 20 minutes a day is to change your life is really not that much, but I get it. A lot of people are busy. And, but all, if all you're going to do is sit and breathe for 20 minutes, you should be able to do that, but maybe you need to work up to it. So let's just say five minutes or six minutes. It'll change your life, this one practice. But hey, Jeff, the cool thing about the box breathing practice is after this five or six minutes, we can then shift into a concentration practice. Where now we're looking at the content of our mind and we're deliberately, willfully concentrating solely on that four part box pattern to the exclusion of all else. This is part two of the training where it now becomes a concentration training practice, very similar to my Zen boot camp training with Mr. Nakamura. And boy, when, when you can um, do this concentration training and you get the experience of over 50% of your time is actually spent concentrating on this breath pattern and not on something else, some other random thought that comes up or emotion or, or distraction, then we're making real progress. And when you can start to, or when you get to like 75 to 80% of your time with your mind solely concentrating on this object, that's a, an indicator that you're ready to move on to the next phase of the uh, training, which is mindful awareness. So that's kind of how I would get people to start. Just focus on the arousal control first. And then we're going to shift into attention control, which is concentrating on the box pattern to deepen our powers of concentration and eradicate our distractibility. And then we'll turn that uh, sharpened mind onto um, really understanding what's driving our life and the stories and the behaviors and the emotional shadow and all that stuff I talk about in Staring Down the Wolf. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, speaking of speaking of staring down the wolf, what does it mean to stare down the wolf? <laughs> you know, when I started um, Seal Fit, which is uh, a business that grew out of my work with Navy Seal candidates to help prepare them for uh, the, the arduous Seal training and then combat, I used to tell them a um, Native American metaphor about how they, you know, they would say that you have two wolves that that vie for your attention, that kind of reside inside of you. This is metaphorical, of course. I don't think we have an actual wolf inside of us. So <laughs> you never know, right? <laughs> so one of them is the wolf of fear. The wolf of fear resides in your brain. He is eating every negative uh, fear-based thought and emotion that you have and all the negative stuff coming in from outside. And then there's the wolf of courage. And the wolf of courage resides in your heart. And I love this. I didn't even know this at the time, but the word courage actually means heart or acting with heart. So the wolf of courage rests in your heart. Now, courage wolf is kind of quiet, right? He's, he or she would love to get some attention, but he's not screaming for it. Whereas fear wolf is a hungry, you know, hungry for attention. And so it gets a lot of attention from people. We're constantly feeding fear wolf. Now, this is really another way of saying that what we now know is that our, um, our brains are wired for negativity. We have a negativity bias. They're, you're five times as likely to have negative um, thinking patterns and fear loops running in your head as you are positive. It's just the way we're wired. So if you do not actively stoke courage and feed courage and 
connect to your heart and use positive dialogue and imagery and take your eyes off yourself and help your teammates in active graciousness and, and courageous service, then you're by default feeding the fear wolf. And the more you feed the fear wolf, the harder it is to stop feeding the fear wolf. And we know that from neuroplasticity. So if all of your patterning is negative and fear-based and mm-hmm. shying from risk and being afraid of challenging yourself and afraid of discomfort, then that becomes you know, your way of being. That becomes, in your words, habituated until that is absolutely who you are. You show up that way. Now, you, you may mask it over with some happy, glad stuff, and you may you know, have learned some enough behaviors to succeed at a decent level. But underneath all that is still that fear wolf and those patterns that have been habituated and are pretty much locked in as a permanent part of your being. The only way that I've ever learned to really overcome that is through meditative practices where you get deep into the uh, reprogramming your, what I call your background of obviousness, which is the subconscious patterns, the fear-based, you know, thinking loops, the emotional shadow, all that kind of stuff. And you just, you know, that's just hard work. And it takes a commitment to sitting down and doing that hard work every day. But when you do that, man, holy cow, magic happens, you know, and it doesn't take a whole lot. You can, you know, you can move a couple boulders out of the way really quickly. That'll accelerate your growth and also give you a lot of motivation to to take care of the little smaller rocks you know that may be tripping you up after that yeah yeah and, and how does this relate to unlocking potential not only of yourself but of your team well you know we live simultaneously in the field of potential in the field of performance said another way is everything that we do every action we take every you know um, conversation we have you know behind that or, or preceding that is a thought is an intention, is an emotion, right? It's something that's happening in our inner domain, which is the field of performance. Everything happens, everything that can happen first happens on the inside. And then we go out and we do take the action and we either perform well or we perform moderately well or we don't perform well at all. So if all you're focused on is the performance side, the action, then you're not going to really make much progress in improving things on the outside. Uh, you're gonna. You can nip around the edges and actually, you know, uh, um, implement some hacks and some performance, you know, peak performance kind of strategies, and they will make things a little bit better. But nothing like what will happen with the major movement you can make by turning your attention to the field of potential. Mm. So, and and they're not equal time. Like I'm, you know, it's like ninety ten. Ninety percent of your time and all of our time as leaders is focused on performing. That's doing things. Our meetings are. You know, planning or strategizing or executing. And 10% though can be focused on, or even 5% can be focused on our field of potential. And that's done in, in, uh, in quiet, right? And those are the meditative practices, visualizing your future, you know, practicing mentally your, uh, the major skills you need to dominate and succeed. And um, you know, contemplation and meditation. That's where your potential is maxed. So I say that you can, you, you can access 20 times or 20x your potential, which will 20x your performance by doing these practices. And then what happens, Jeff, is you show up differently uh, to your team. You're much more calm. You're confident under pressure. Um, you're not flying off the handle. You're actually much more authentic and connecting because you're doing these work. Help, this work helps you connect 
to your own heart, which then helps you connect at a more authentic and deep level, which creates great trust and respect amongst your team. And it also gives you the courage as a leader to bring these practices to your team because you're like, hey, you know, folks, this is extraordinarily powerful. Like this is the next frontier in leadership development. We call it vertical leadership development where you're focused on developing your character. And who wouldn't, what leader wouldn't want their team to develop its character alongside them developing their own character? So together, we're all going to grow. Together, everyone mm-hmm. achieves more growth, right? Yeah. Team G. So that's how it affects. When you start to work on your own potential, then naturally you're going to help unlock your team's potential, but you're also going to want to share these practices with your team so the team can have a, a growth mindset and the team can have um, 20x potential. And that's more geometric than linear. Walk us through an example in your life when you were facing a challenge and those two wolves were vying for your attention and you had to make a conscious decision to feed the heart one. There's been many times. I'll give you an example. So before I started Seal Fit. I had a, a really lucrative government contract. The U.S. Navy Recruiting Command had hired me to uh, create a nationwide mentoring program for all SEALs coming into the, or all mil, you know, civilians and former military coming into the service who wanted to be SEALs. It's like pre-training. The idea was we needed more SEALs in the field, but we weren't willing to reduce our standards. So mm-hmm. we thought if we have increased the quality of the candidate on the front end, then we'll get more candidates out the back end, more SEALs out the back end. And that was valid and actually worked. It increased the, the size of the SEAL force by uh, many hundreds because it increased the throughput by about 5% of BUDS training or SEAL training. Anyways, those are details. So um, this contract was about a $10 million contract and it could have grown from there. And we did an unbelievably bang up job uh, the first year. I designed the program. I had 36 former SEALs. I trained them all. We put them out at all the recruiting districts. We were we took the um, pass rate on the Navy SEAL screening test from 35% to over 80%, once, you know, which was tested when they got to boot camp, mm-hmm. which means that you know, at boot camp, before the SEALs would, you know, the candidates were supposed to have be able to pass this test, only 35% were, and that's because the recruiters were kind of gun decking, meaning they were, they were sloppy or you know, we're not 100% sure why that was happening. One of the this is like the main way that the recruiting came in was um, validating our success, and they said we just knocked it out of the park. Well, I was a subcontractor to a prime contractor, another company called Blackwater USA, which is a billion dollar company owned by another SEAL named Eric Prince, who's in the news frequently. They were pissed that I got that contract, and I heard rumors that he was gunning for it. And sure enough, after a year, somehow the prime contractor got challenged and the whole contract got thrown out. And instead of sole sourcing it to us, the recruiting command ended up, or was not recruiting command, but the, the fleet industrial supply center, the one that was letting the contract, put it back to full and open bid. And lo and behold, Blackwater won the contract, which was stunning to us. Because we were already doing the job and we had done a phenomenal job. And so this is nothing but, you know, a, a fraudulent situation, you know, in my opinion and um, well, in opinion of a lot of other people. And so we were being pressured to fight it, which, as you know, would have been a long 
fear wolf legal battle. Yeah, you don't want to go to battle with somebody with a war chest. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and I was a small little fish swimming with a big shark. And so I went back to my meditation bench and just didn't do anything for, for three or four days. And you know, I, I was getting calls from everybody, from all my coaches or mentors who were freaking out because they you know, didn't have a job all of a sudden. And Blackwater was calling them up to hire them. And I was getting calls by the attorneys. And I just sat and, you know, not 100% of the time, but I was on the bench. And I said, I'm not going to do anything. And I began to go back to, you know, what, what's this all about? Where's the silver lining here? What what is Courage Wolf telling me to do? And I just started mm. feeding the Courage Wolf. And what came out of that was, you know what? I'm not going to fight Blackwater. I'm going to release every one of my mentors from their um, from their non compete contract to let them go work for Blackwater, and they all did. And I'm going to wish Blackwater well with this ten million dollar contract that I started and launched, and is already up and running. And I'm going to turn my attention on something else because obviously this is not the right thing for me. Right? Just like, you know, it was like the second time that I had a major thing kind of come up and slap me in the head and say, this is not the right path for you. The first time was when I was a CPA and I got the message that I was not meant to be a CPA. I was meant to be a warrior. And that led me into the SEALs. This time now I'm off active duty and I'm in the civilian world in, in business. And I hit up against the side of the head again with that same message. Like that was the wrong... Yeah, you did a good job, but that's not the right way to do that job. That's not the right way to train these warriors. Government contracting is not your thing. And it's going to lead you into a lot of frustration. And uh, you might have financial success, but it's not the right thing for you. So out of that experience, I conceived of the company what that became SealFit, where I would train these individuals one-on-one or in small teams, and they would all be volunteered and they would pay me, not the government. So I moved from having one client to having thousands of clients and SealFit was a huge success. So that was an example of how as a business leader, I was able to stare down the fear wolf, uh, fear of losing out on millions of dollars, fear of you know not doing the right thing, fear of being looked at as weak because I walked away from you know, I should have been like the David and Goliath and gone out and fought him and won. And I just walked, <laughs> I walked away from all that and said, you know, that's all bullshit. That's a story. And I'm going to feed the courage wolf and use this as an opportunity to, to align even closer with the, what I'm supposed to be doing, which is to really train people. And I can't do that. The government, even, and they wouldn't let me do it the way I wanted to do it anyways. So this yeah. is all a good thing. And every, you know, and you've probably had this experience, but every major disaster in my life, when I look back on it, I'm like, it was absolutely necessary <laughs> and I'm glad it happened. And I wish I could learn faster from it. So I've, I've made learning fast from those big challenges and disasters one of my kind of work, you know, one yeah. of my objects of study is like, how do, you know, it's going to happen. How do I learn from it? Let's go. The number of times that I have heard Gary Keller talking about um, success is nothing more than just you know, learning to embrace the failure. And I'm even opening right. your book and saying, fear, failure expected. Are you ready? Right. Just, just reframing what failure is because it's in those moments that you get the greatest lessons, that the opportunities are there. And as you were talking, there's some things that are happening in our business that are um, very top of mind for me where um, there is absolutely fear in, right. in certain instances. And when that happens, it's, it's not a logical mind, it's emotional. And mm-hmm. this is where I'm grateful for my partner, Jay, asking, great. So if it did go down this path, 
what would have to happen for that to actually be a win for us? How do we right. make it so that no matter what happens, both are win-wins? Right. And that's just a, a very different framing. I love that. And I agree with that. And that's one of the things that we've learned and that we teach as well is that failure is, we used to say in the seals, failure is not an option. And people thought, well, that, you know, that doesn't sound right. It actually was pretty wise because what we're saying is not that you can't fail, but that failure doesn't exist. Failure itself isn't an option. There's just new ways to learn how to do things and there's ways to learn how to not to, not to do things. And so essentially, you just go from one, one obstacle to another, learning the best way around it, through it, over it, or you blow it up, right? And, um, and so that attitude allows you to you know, just develop great momentum because you're, you're, like you said, you're expecting the failure, you're actually visualizing it, you have contingency plans for it, and then you just go execute with your hair on fire and you, and you see what happens. And sometimes you, you know, just by envisioning the failure points in advance and, and coming out with solutions to work around them actually will avoid you know, some of the worst Absolutely. Uh, potential failures as well. Absolutely. T- talk to us about your journey of habit formation because I don't think you get um, to where you are without that being a key part of your journey. Yeah, habits are, you know, anything that you do repeatedly becomes a habit. So for me, it's about getting very clear about what I should be doing and what I should not be doing Mm. and then avoiding the things that I should not be doing and covering down and figuring out how I'm doing the things I should be doing as effectively as possible. And that means then I have to break it down, chunk it down into this component parts and then figure out how, when... And how to measure those component parts, and then to uh, commit to doing them every day. Right? So, it, it it really is pretty simple. You know, I, I apply the eighty twenty rule almost all the time. Right, I'm always asking me what has crept into my life that I shouldn't be doing, and um, what can I get rid of now, and what is it that I really need to focus on. That has become a habit of mine. Hmm. So I have a daily practice. Um, which starts in the morning, I call winning in my mind. And, and it's really about habit. That is a habit itself, but then it's a habit about habituating the right things so that I'm always focused on the right thing. And I always know why I'm doing what I'm doing. There's very little time in my day that is just random, you know, unless I, ex- I want it to be random. And that's okay, because sometimes random time is good for creativity and spontaneity and whatnot. But I will, um, this practice of mine in the morning. And I know a lot of people, a lot of your listeners have morning rituals. Mine, and I think they're like essential for anyone who wants to operate at their peak. So I wake up and I do my box breathing practice that I described and concentration. And then I go into my mindful awareness. And then when I, and I see if anything comes up that needs to be attended to, and I have a journal beside me. And then I visualize uh, my purpose, which is a future vision. I have a vision about where I'm going in the next uh, 20 years or so. What does that look like to me? What do I look like? Who's around me? How bold, you know, how am I serving? How many am I serving? What impact am I having? And I practice that every day. Because hmm. through that practice, I believe I'm creating essentially a future, a memory of an event that hasn't happened yet <laughs> that draws me toward it. And then I dirt dive my day. And so, of course, you know, in order to dirt dive my day, I have to pull out my calendar and make sure that what I've planned for the day is actually you know still on target, and then I'll visualize myself you know going through the day and just knocking the targets down and and doing everything really 
well and also you know envisioning obstacles that might occur just like we would envision a seal mission and also visualize any obstacles and the contingency plans so that practice you know maybe takes me 15 minutes hmm. sometimes 20 sometimes less if i have it and i call it winning in my mind before stepping foot in the battlefield it's been yeah. just extraordinarily powerful so then what happens, I step foot into the battlefield and I go out the door. Then I, I have a, a battle rhythm, essentially, which is another habit of mine, where I push really hard and then I re- recover and do a spot drill. So this is a way for me to, to blend the yin and the yang of performing with recovery and tapping back into the field of potential. So let's say I'm doing a workout. I'll I'll conceive of the workout or I'll enter the workout. I'll crank, I'll focus on it. I'll use the workout, uh, not just to get fit, but also as a developmental opportunity. And I like to work out with teammates uh, so that we can hold each other accountable and, and have that as a team growth opportunity. And after the workout, I'll sit and box breathe and I'll contemplate what went well, what didn't, what I learned from it and use uh, a brief moment just to recover, to like to recharge and tap back into that field so that the next thing I go to is, you know, I have even more power and momentum and energy. And then, so then I'll go into the next thing, which might be like this podcast or, or a uh, radio interview or, you know, a, a meeting and I'll be fully present. And during the meeting, then one of my habits is active listening. It, and that's more of a mindful practice. So I'll, I will listen with like a more of an empty cup mind or a beginner's mind where I'm not trying to judge and I'm not trying to formulate you know, some sort of response. I'm just listening and seeing what comes up. And every once in a while, I'll get an intuitive hit and I'll just jot it down. And then when I'm ready to have something to say, then I'll craft a, um, like a one-thing response, which is like the simplest, most clear response that I can, which takes you know, practice, right? It's another habit, is to speak as clearly and as simply as possible. So you're not just you know, spewing all over everybody and confusing them. So, and then after that meeting, I'll take a moment to do a spot drill. And our spot drills, again, are are to tap into the field of potential. So this one might be, you know, I'm going to go do some uh, deep, deep breathing, or I'm going to go for a quick walk, or I'm going to do, you know, 10 sun salutations or or 100 burpees, not 100 burpees, but 100 squats. (laughs) 100 100 burpees would be a different spot drill. Although I have done that quite often. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little so, extreme so, in that regard. So, so, so casual. I'm just, I'm just going to do 100 burpies. 100 burpees yeah. <laughs> By the way, speaking of burpees, um, in 2018, I did 130,000 burpees. You can. And I did 130,000 burpees. And we did, I, ch- I challenged my tribe to do 22 million burpees to raise money and awareness for vets suffering from post-traumatic stress. And this is through our foundation called the Courage Foundation. And so I chose, uh, I bid off 100,000. I ended up doing 130. We ended up getting, we're still working on it, by the way. We're up to 20 million of those 22 million burpees. And we far exceeded our goal of raising a quarter million dollars. But in order for me to to do my part, I chose 100 burpees, 100,000 burpees, which meant I did 300 a day and I didn't miss a day. (laughs) I just looked, I just did the math. Extraordinary year. That's ridiculous. Because even doing 100 burpees, I mean, I was (laughs) gassed. (laughs) <laughs> I know. You get used to them though, just like anything else, right? Wow. And, it became, and those burpees became a practice, right? Yeah, Every, absolutely. Everything, here's kind of the, the, the lesson here, what I'm talking about. You want to habituate excellence, then 
every single opportunity you have during the day to practice and to tap into your potential so you can bring that forth, take it. And ultimately, you know, in the meditation practices, they call this taking it off the mat, which is ultimately where we want to go. When you get good at meditating, sitting down doesn't really, and doing it doesn't really do much for you anymore. And you're basically feel the sense of urgency to just leave the mat behind or leave the bench behind. And, and every moment becomes an opportunity to be present and to become awakened, right? And to tap into your awesome potential. So I made those burpees like that. Every single burpee was a self-contained practice that included a feed the courage wolf statement. It included a mental attitude or an orientation, a certain perspective. It included uh, a great attention to detail for how I was moving so that I wasn't, you know, greasing the groove of an injury. It included a breathing pattern so that I was breathing for stress uh, release instead of building up stress. And it ended up being just an extraordinary year, you know, to have that, um, that practice. And so much so that I continue to do two to 300 burpees like three times a week. I don't do it uh, seven days a week like I did that year because that was a little excessive, but I'll probably end up doing about 40 or 50,000 burpees this year just because they're fun. I know that sounds weird. (laughs) (laughs) Just because they're fun. Yeah, well, the the, the thing that I'm picking up on this, Mark, is (laughs) we talk about this commitment to to following a path of mastery. You know, viewing it as a a journey you go down rather than a destination you arrive at. And even the way that you talk about every single burpee, like I can just see it there. It is this commitment to mastery over and over again. Over and over, day in and day out. And there is no there there. I agree with you. The journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, but at the end of that thousand miles, you realize that, you know, guess what? There's another thousand to go and you're just at the beginning again. So you just take that next step. There is no there there. The more work you do, the more you realize the vastness of our own potential. And it's extremely motivating and also very humbling as well. Yeah. I mean, meditation is the ultimate humility exercise, which I think every single leader listening, hmm. you want to practice humility and instead of just talk about it or hope you have it, sit down and examine your own true nature and realize just the vastness of your potential. And when you're looking at that and you're staring down the wolf and it's just one of the most humbling things ever. And then you bring that humility in your workplace. And really, it, it's not Machiavellian, but it really does help your leadership capacity for sure. I love that. I love that. Well, Mark, where can people learn more about your book, Staring Down the Wolf, or any of your other books? Well, um, let's see. MarkDevine.com is probably a good place. It's like my personal website. It has all my books on it. It's got my uh, Unbeatable Mind podcast, which is... Uh, people love that. Apparently, we've got nearly 20 million downloads. and this is where I get to talk to people like you and other experts. And we have a great time and some amazing guests. And um, I have a blog there and you learn about my speaking. And, and so that's like a catch-all for Mark Devine. It's markdevine.com, D-I-V-A-N-E. Our training, our leadership training and team training is at unbeatablemind.com. And we've got uh, 500 certified coaches in training. And we offer a really rich embodied leadership uh, training events as well as coaching. So that's a great place to, if you're interested in going deeper, to learn about that. 
And of course, our books, uh, The Way of the Seal, uh, Staring on the Wolf, and Unbeatable Mind are my three le- you know, books that are appropriate for leaders. Unless someone wants to start getting fit like a Navy SEAL, then they could look at Eight Weeks to Seal Fit, <laughs> which is my hard-hitting fitness program. But those are all available at Amazon or wherever books are sold. Yeah, I love it. Um, I want you to think back on everything you have learned from the time that you were walking down the street in New York and, and mm. saw the dojo for the, the first time. What advice would you give to that version of yourself knowing everything you know today? Oh, such a great question. I would say, you know, stop overcomplicating things, right? It's not that hard. In fact, you know, it's one of the things, Jeff, that the more I do this and have these conversations, the more I think, you know what, I, I'm not sure I can keep doing this because it's getting simpler. You know, the, the meaning of life is getting simpler and simpler to me. And I might end up on one of these podcasts where I literally just look at the camera and be like, uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't have anything left to say. You know what I mean? Let's just breathe together. How about that? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like we ca- we complicate things and everyone is all wrapped up in, you know, the latest strategies and, you know, tactics and all that when ultimately if, you know, if that guy that was walking down the street would just slow down and just take a breath and just find victory right here right now where it's at. Of course, that's the essential uh you know, reason for the practice to begin with of meditation is to slow down and to find victory right here, right now, in this moment. Mm-hmm. Even the Buddha said, you can, you can find enlightenment in a single breath. You got to pay attention, right? Mm-hmm. So just slow down and pay attention and stop complicating things. And don't feed the fear wolf anymore, for gosh sakes. I mean, this coronavirus, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. We got we to gotta take care of ourselves, but, you know, fear is the real virus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you investing your time with us today. Thank you. It's been awesome. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Well, there you have it. Our conversation with Commander Mark Devine, the uh, New York Times bestselling author of Way of the Seal, Staring Down the Wolf, founder of Unbeatable Mind and Seal Fit. Folks, you know the focusing question. Out of everything in this episode, what is the one thing you can do? such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary. And when you isolate that one thing, would you become the type of person who decide their futures by forming a habit? Do it every day for 66 days until it becomes habitual. If this episode has brought value to you, please click the subscribe button so all future episodes are automatically downloaded to your device of choice. And while you're at it, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your player of choice because it helps us live our purpose of helping people better invest their time so they can achieve extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.